yesterday, we had kind of a fun morning, a little busy, but uh, Silas, uh, and, and I say first game, it's not really accurate. It was his first jamboree, we'll say. Had his first jamboree for football yesterday morning. Uh, so this is his first time playing. It's flag football. It's pretty chill, kind of, you know, coaches grabbing small children by the helmet and say, you stand here, you stand here. Your job is to block. Your job is to run. Pretty basic stuff. Uh, and it's funny because, you know, the moment you touch a helmet, their kid is like, oh, my gosh, I'm moving. Um, and then Silas's stance is like, and then it looks kind of more like he's playing patty cake than tackling, but uh, it's, it was entertaining and a lot of fun. But they got to do it at Memorial Stadium. So Silas is, you know, Memorial Stadium on the turf, playing his first little game, which was a lot of fun, um, at least in theory. I asked him if I could tell stories. Um, he said it was okay. But by the end of the game, he was kind of upset. It did not, it, like, it seemed really cool. It seemed like a lot of fun. But there were kids pulling on me. And there were kids not playing the way they were supposed to. And then they just fell on me. And it was kind of like in tears because it was rough, right? and to kind of be doing some drills and doing some basic stuff. But then you're out there and there's all kinds of pushing and shoving and kids who aren't being closely watched who don't understand that I'm not supposed to grab this guy by the back and pull him backwards. That's not allowed in the game. And, you know, it's kind of crazy and it's just whatever. And he is a little sensitive as the word I was trying to avoid. But sure, uh, yeah, sensitive yeah, is, the, is the word for it. And so he gets a little upset. But one of the phrases we keep using in our home and that we continue to reinforce to him is whenever he, you know, gets bumped in the arm and is like, my arm really hurts because he's a bit dramatic as, as well, um, is that I can do hard things, right? I can do hard things. Not necessarily always the toughen up, although I will say that my dad's voice is in the back of my head saying those same words and I sometimes let them escape my mouth as well because there are times it's true. You just need to... Be, Buddy, I barely touched you. You need to be able to deal with that kind of pressure just in day-to-day -day life. Like, that's called stubbing your toe on the couch. Like, it, it's rough. It, it's life. you got to be able to withstand a little bit of bump and bruise. But it's that kind of phrase, I can do hard things. I can do tough things. I can do things that are challenging. Because we talk about this word that you see on the screen here, this chapter that we're diving into today is gaining grit, which may not have been the word I would have chosen because I think sometimes we have these pictures in our mind that some of it, like for me, the immediate thought that comes to mind is John Wayne, like his true grit, right? It's a movie, you know, and, or maybe Jeff Bridges, if you didn't see the first one, because um, they remade it. And, you know, this idea of this Western kind of cowboy, tough guy standing up, although I think the girl in that movie's got a lot of grit too. That's kind of fun stuff in that particular film. But this idea of what does it mean to be tough Versus what does it mean to be, I can do hard things. Because to say just toughen up, you know, deal with it. It hurts, but deal with it. Just, yeah, you may not like it, but like it anyway. Is kind of sometimes I think the attitude we think about when we talk about grit. Learn to like the pain, you know. Just, just get over it. Sometimes it's kind of that mindset I think we grab onto. But there's this different picture that I want us to understand when we talk about Hebrews 12, which we'll get to in a bit, our key verse for this week. When it comes to us and what does it mean for us to have this grit or maybe better yet, this term endurance. And sticking with the football theme and being able to do hard things, I was kind of looking for stories about players, you know, because 
it kind of reminded me of this idea of like, what am I playing for? Why am I doing what I do? Like guys who play hurt, why they would be willing to be playing hurt. And all of a sudden I came across some, a story that I know very well, but I kind of forgotten about. And I was like, there's no better story to talk about when we're talking about grit and enduring than this particular guy. So we're going to show a little three minute clip here. Check out this story. If you're not familiar with it, you will be soon. So I show that video. If you don't know, it's Alex Smith. Um, the very quick version of the story drafted first overall in the NFL draft played to the San Francisco 49ers until a young explosive kind of new type of talent comes along and he kind of loses his job there, but gets an opportunity with the Kansas city chiefs where he has a lot of success. And then all of a sudden this guy named Patrick Mahomes comes along and he, once again, you loses his job to this kind of young, exciting, explosive talent in the midst of hardship and difficulty, and then goes to play for what is now the Washington commanders and that's where this big hit against the Houston Texans happened. Spiral fracture, got a flesh-eating bacteria in this wound and break that destroyed his leg and nearly cost him his life. And then through all this rehab, rehabbing with military specialists who are used to the kind of injuries where someone steps on an IED and blows up their leg, manages to rehab back to where you saw him there stepping back out onto the football field. And for some reason, I don't know, winning comeback player of the year. Go figure. You give that to anybody else, that seemed like the most useless award of all time. But this is an incredible story. But I show that video for a couple of reasons. Because it's all this hardship that Patrick Mahomes, the guy at the end of the video, if you don't know him, he's kind of considered like one of the best right now young guys in the league, is, is kind of remembering and respecting because they were together for a bit and really appreciative of the influence Alex had on him because through all of his hardships, he just kept improving and getting better and coming out on top and letting that drive him. If you get a chance, there's like a 15 minute long Ted talk, which we're not going to watch today where he talks about the anxiety and fear that he kind of faced all of his career and some of the advice and some of the push that he got to overcome that. And he, he really kind of just boils it down to the idea that someone basically said, don't worry. Like, Go out there, play hard, play fast, play your best, do all these things, but don't worry. And then another friend who was like, are you living? Would always ask him this question. You saw on his shirt there, it said something about live. It's kind of this motto he grabbed onto, this idea of am I living for something? Am I moving forward towards something else? This passage that we're looking at this morning starts off with this word, therefore. Now, if you've heard me say this before, I want to say it again. Anytime you see the word therefore, we got to stop and ask the question, what's it there for? Okay. So we look at chapter 12 as the beginning of something we're going to look at here, but it's important right off the bat with the word therefore that we stop and ask ourselves the question, what was the writer of Hebrews just talking about? The writer of Hebrews was looking at chapter 11, which we know as the hall of faith. And he's talking about these people who had faith, faith of something hoped for, not for something seen, not something we have hold of, but they're working towards something that they can't see, something they have hope in, in the future. And so he goes through this list of Abel offering sacrifices, Enoch, this person that walks with God that we don't know a tremendous amount about, but we see these glimpses of how he trusts in God, and the Hebrew writer writes and gives him this credit, Noah who builds this ark, Abraham, who trusts God to give him a son, Sarah, who also just believes and has trust and faith that God would provide for her at an old age, Isaac, 
and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, some names that you may be less familiar with, but you can go hunt them down. They kind of get run off there that, that are mentioned in Judges. Samson, David, Samuel, these names that we hear these stories about all the time and the great works that they accomplish, and there's this kind of hall of faith, as Hebrews is known. And so the writer has just expressed, we have all these examples, all these people who trusted in God, kept pressing forward towards something that was bigger than, than themselves, were investing in things they didn't fully understand, but continued to trust God. Did they fail? Absolutely. But did they press forward towards something? Yes. And therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This passage is saying, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, such a long list of also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance. Now, you remember earlier I said this idea of grit, or maybe the word endure is kind of maybe the one I'd rather use because that's kind of the word that this passage uses, is not this idea of, yep, yeah, it's hard, toughen it up, get used to it, life's rough, deal with it, get over it, rub some dirt on it and keep going, right? It's kind of the mentality we sometimes have. And I'm not saying that there isn't a time and a place for that, because I do think there are moments where I look at it and go, there's nothing we can do about this. And it's not that I have to enjoy it or like it, but I am going to have to find a way to keep pressing on. But I think there's a deeper hope that comes with this passage, a deeper understanding for us, and, and some wisdom that we can gain from this story I just shared that's valuable to look at. You notice at the end there, there's, I left that little interview with Patrick Mahomes on there because he is making reference to someone who impacted him in the short time they spent on the same team and the example that this guy continues to set for him of how to keep pressing on, keep working hard, keep enduring through the hardships, keep your head up, keep focused, all that kind of stuff, right? It's this cloud of witness. Because we've seen what someone else can accomplish, it helps us to realize that something valuable is attainable. We see this cloud of witnesses that we have throughout Scripture who faced hardship, who were facing the uncertainty of, can I have a child? I'm well up in years. And when I say well up in years, I mean like Abraham and Sarah are knocking on their hundreds, okay? It's not like they were, you know, like I can't imagine right now having another kid. I'm about to, I hit 41 this week. No interest in having another baby. Tired and exhausted with three that can take care of themselves pretty well, right? You know, like at 100, that's a big deal. But they so desperately knew that having this child was part of what God had in store for them. But it's also something they wanted because that's part of what gave you value in as a woman, is producing an heir, producing someone that could carry on your family line. And that family line was such an important and desired thing that they're praying for this. And God says, yes, even though it looks like there is no hope, even though it's a laughable situation to Sarah, right? 
I'm going to provide for you. You may not be able to see the outcome yet, but trust and have faith. Keep enduring even though the circumstances seem like there is no hope. Look at other stories along that way. Gideon sticks out to me. You guys know I love Gideon. And this story where God says, I'm going to take you from the lowest tribe, and yes, you're the lowest family, and yes, you're the lowest son, and yes, you're the weakest of everybody. I kind of picked you for that purpose, if you didn't catch on. And yes, you're going to be scared because I'm going to send you to lead the armies of God against the Midianites. And guess what? You have a massive army. I'm going to take part of that away too. In fact, I'm going to take most of it away. I'm going to leave you with about 300 guys. Can you imagine if you're Gideon, you were already scared. You had to lay out several fleeces, literally, where we get that term from, right? To make sure God is actually calling you. God, I need a sign. God, I actually need another sign. Are you absolutely sure you want me to lead this army? Okay, I'm feeling a little bit better. You're going to help me lead this army. Cool, we've at least got like 30 plus thousand troops. We can do this. Actually, no, I need you to get rid of everybody who's scared. And he gets down to like 10,000 troops. And now I need you to take them down and everybody who drinks a certain way, send them home. And everybody who drinks this way, you keep them. And now we're down to 300 guys. I was already scared if I was Gideon. And now I've got 300 guys versus the Midianite army, which scripture says their camels alone were too numerous to be counted. Like, like trying to count grains of sand on the beach. Right? This is a big task. And yet God uses Gideon to show that it's not Gideon's strength or Gideon's might or Gideon's wisdom or any of those things. It is God's power and strength. I want to show you that I am handing this army over into your hands. It's nothing you could do. So there's no way for you to boast. It's something I'm doing through you. Again, a hopeless situation, a scary, frightening, fearful situation. And he endures by trusting God and continuing to listen to his voice and stepping forward continues to press forward. But then we get into this passage and we start even seeing these words in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, we have this great cloud of witnesses, but they're not the end-all be-all. We can look to our Savior who is God putting on flesh to come and dwell among us. And he sets the example for us too. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What's the joy that was set before him? Us. Being able to come back into relationship with him. To have all things restored. He saw the joy that was set before him where things were made right and things were as they should be. That helped him endure the cross. Even though he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there's any way for this cup to be taken from me, Lord, please do it. If there's any way to take this away, please. And yet he endures because he sees the joy put before him where all things are restored through his sacrifice. He endured the cross, despising the shame which is what we were facing and dealing with, this guilt and the shame and this I can't do it and the brokenness that existed. He despised that and wanted things to be restored and made complete. And he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, right? And we can look to him as this example and see what was laid before him. 
remember that video, one of the things he said there, and he goes into depth in some other interviews and things I watched. He kind of says, like, it seems like a silly thing, right? He even calls it all this for a silly game, right? But when that physical therapist put that football back in his hand, he described it in another video as this kind of like he was missing a limb for a bit. And that ball got back in his hand, everything kind of felt normal again. Something that had been such a huge part of his life was suddenly removed. And all of a sudden, this ball is back in his hand and it's kind of like, I missed that. Something feels at peace. Something feels right. Something feels hopeful again. And he had something to fix his eyes on. And I've heard him and his wife talk about it, this idea. Because I'll be honest, the moment that dude stepped back on the field, they were playing the Rams. The Rams just won the Super Bowl. And you may have seen when they won the Super Bowl, there was this big defensive player named Aaron Donald. He's a beast of a man. One of his like first few plays is like the third play of that game when he goes in. Aaron Donald basically tackles him from behind. Alex Smith on his leg that I've seen in State's pictures I don't want to remember ever carries this massive defender on his back for a couple of steps before he goes down. And all of us held our breath and cringed if you were watching that moment. Because it's terrifying for me having seen what he went through and seeing the state of which his leg was in to even possibly consider thinking about taking that risk again, right? For me, I go, oh, you sure, man? Have you seen how big that guy is? You're going to give him a piggyback ride on that bum leg? That's a bad idea. I just feel like that's a bad idea. And I can't imagine knowing what I went through watching that game, how his wife felt. And they've interviewed her and talked to her about it. And she's like, you know, at first it was this thing that gave him hope. It was something he could work for. I didn't think we'd actually be having the conversation of he could actually step back on an NFL field and compete at the highest level again. But she goes, I knew it was something he loved. I knew it was something he wanted to pursue. And I was all for that. And then when it looked like he actually might be able to do that, then we had to have some serious conversations. And it was hard. But you realize right here, the joy put before him is what made it possible for him to endure. Isaac and Sarah thinking about the joy of what God is promising. I promise you that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. You may not fully understand how that looks. You may have to lose a lot of sleep near the age of 100, getting up in the middle of the night to take care of a baby. I get it. It will be hard. It will be challenging. There will be things that will not be easy about this. In fact, we know that Isaac's on that list because Isaac walks up that mountain with his dad who's been instructed to sacrifice his only son. And Isaac is old enough to know what's going on. And they walk up there together, faithfully trusting God. Even though they don't see the full picture, they know there's a promise. They know there's a hope for something better. They're pursuing it and chasing after it, even though they don't know the full joy of what is to be made complete yet. They're enduring what's scary, what's hard, what's hurtful. They don't like the pain. It doesn't have to mean the journey is fun. What it means is that our eyes are fixed on something that is hopeful. Down the road, something that we care about deeply and find joy in. For many of us, we're looking down the road and the question is, what are our eyes fixed on? He uses this language here that we cast off all of our 
sin, you know, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race. We use that language, Paul uses that language a fair bit in other writings that he does. I press on towards the goal. I press on towards the prize. I run and sprint towards this finish line. This idea of endurance and running towards something, the idea of finishing the goal seems great. For some of us, we have our eyes fixed on certain things we're chasing after. I'm going to be perfectly honest. If you told me, hey, you can run a marathon and here's the finish line and the sense of accomplishment that comes with running all those miles, I would tell you, good luck with that. I'm good. I have no interest or desire to put the little sticker on the back of my car that says how far I ran. I have no interest and desire to run that far. I always joked, I like to run about 90 feet at a time. That's the distance between one base and another. And today I don't even like to do that, to be perfectly honest. Running has always been something I've hated. That is not a goal or a prize that seems exciting to me. Yet I know people, in fact, I was hanging out with a bunch of people Friday night who were sitting comparing their old high school cross country times because there are a bunch of cross country runners in the room. And I said, you guys find mine on there? Nope, you won't, because it doesn't exist. Because never would you have convinced me to run three miles back then either. And they're all talking about, you know, some of them are tri- like run marathons and not, like come near to qualifying for Olympic stuff, like big deal runners, like they love it. And for them, the energy and the investment and the time in getting out and running is beneficial because what they see as the goal is appealing to them. There are lots of other things I will work hard at Because the end line, the finish, the goal, even if I can't fully see what it looks like, is something that would bring me joy and I would be excited about. For many of you in the room, you know what those things are in your life. Things that you would press on towards, that you invest a lot of energy, that you would endure all kinds of hardships to see come to fruition. Because what's at the end seems worth it. For many of us in the room, when we come into church, we start talking about our faith We say, well, we know what the end prize is. It's totally worth it. That we would be caught up with that same cloud of witnesses in the air. We're going to talk about heaven next week. It's the last chapter, heaven. That's obviously, Nick, the end prize, the end goal. Is it? That's weird for the pastor to say. I get it. I think that the end prize is God's presence. The joy that was set before Jesus was that all things would be restored so that we could be in relationship with him. And guess what? In case you haven't caught it the first lots of times I've said it, we do not have to wait for heaven to obtain that. In fact, I'm not sure how much we will like heaven if we don't like his presence now. Because what is good about heaven is not a mansion in golden streets. We'll talk more about that next week. Tune back in. But what is good about heaven is the presence of God in its perfection and glory. And he has offered us that relationship now. And he's not only offered it to us now, we've talked about this a great deal in the last couple weeks as we discussed mentoring and scripture and understanding God's word and learning how to read it and pour into it so that we can grow up in our faith, so that we can be transformed into his likeness, so that we can do the work he's called us to do, produce fruit out of our lives. He has called us into relationship with him so that we can become like him, be transformed into his likeness, and do the work that he has called us to do. And so the prize that we press toward, the joy that we fix our eyes on, if you read Paul's writings, the thing he is focused on 
is making sure they all come to know how good Jesus is. My eyes are fixed on a relationship in a, with a Savior that I love, and I will do anything and everything to run towards him and to bring as many people on that journey with me as possible. Not by trying to convince them why I'm right and they're wrong. Not by trying to beat them over the head with this book and say, you've got to see the truth. No, it's come meet my Savior whom I love. He has transformed my life and is amazing. And I would endure any hardship for his name's sake, for his glory. Pressing on towards the goal, obviously, is pressing on towards relationship with him and eternity with him. But we can't forget that in that eternity, it's not just about me sitting there with him. Sometimes we live as if we are going to be the only ones there. And by we, I mean the ones in this room. Because we know that we all got it figured out, and we got it sorted out, and we come to church every week, and we wish the rest of the world would get it together and come to church every week. They'd be a whole lot better off if they just came and listened to Nick every week. Not really. Or any other preacher, because you can get somebody else on TV, right? They'd be better off if they would get their act together and focus on Jesus and just do the right things. We hope they get it figured out before he comes back, because that's whenever it's going to get real good. And that's sometimes how we live our life of faith. And that is not at all what Scripture paints an image of. It is the church enduring incredible hardship. In fact, there's a passage, and I don't do this often, but we just talked about Scripture, and the idea of reading publicly was really important, right? So we're going to read some Scripture publicly today. A bigger chunk than I would normally read. But it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In fact, it's not just found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And normally I read out different translations, but I just wanted it to sound clear. Um, and so I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. So just, you can follow along on the screen or you can close your eyes and listen, but I would encourage you to hear these words as we read this passage. Therefore, I'm not going to go back and talk about all the things Paul's already said. Go read 2 Corinthians 1 through 3, because therefore is therefore a reason, right? But therefore... Since God in his mercy has given us this new way, that's what he's been talking about, this new way in Christ. Never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. You notice they say we tell the truth before God. That means being honest with ourselves in that relationship, being honest and living in truth with him first, not just trying to convince everybody else that we know the truth and they should get on board, but being honest in the way we live the truth and become made in his image. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. Look how good I am. See what I can do. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is good. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. You notice he didn't say God's servants. He says your servants, each other's servants. We serve one another for Jesus' sake, doing the good work we've been called to, for the sake of God receiving glory. It's the purpose we live for. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made 
this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ, to know him. We, know, we now have this light shining in our hearts, become like him. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves, just like Gideon, so that no one can boast. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through our suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. You have to understand, let's rewind just a little bit. Paul's writing to an early church, which is literally being persecuted, attacked, killed, hunted down, abused from every angle and every side, and yet is growing with great intensity. Because they're not overcome by the hardships and the, like, the perplexing nature of what they're facing. They're strengthened because they know that what hardships they are going through are for the benefit of the kingdom and they would endure anything for the sake of reaching that glory, that joy, that hope of what is to come. For the sake of building the kingdom, I would endure a great deal of hardship because their eyes are fixed on something. They're looking towards what can bring joy and hope. And so they are facing tremendous stuff, far greater than what we think we face in many cases. I'm not trying to belittle our hardships. But what they're facing is oftentimes a lot, great, a lot greater struggle than some of the, well, they don't like us, that we think we are going through. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone but the things we cannot see will last forever. When it comes to endurance, when it comes to gaining grit, there's a very simple way for us to understand what it means as Christians to press forward and gain grit. It's not just suck it up, buttercup. It's not just, well, have enough faith in it all, somehow sort itself out. In fact, if we read the Psalms, we realize it is okay to be crushed. It is okay to be perplexed. It is okay to be under the weight of tremendous struggle. Paul says it right here. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul shares the ways he has struggled, the ways he has been persecuted, the ways he has been stoned, the ways they've tried to take his life and beat him and imprisoned him and done all this stuff to him. 
And yet he continues to share the gospel because he realizes that the calling in his life to share who Jesus is, not to beat everyone into submission with the truth of his wisdom, but to introduce them to a Savior who knocked him off his horse and changed his life is important. And it is a goal he has fixed his eyes on and wants to chase with everything. So we don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. We have some imagination. We're going to talk more about imagination next week. But we have some imagination on the beauty of what could be. If we were actually living the way we were called to, if we were actually loving the way Jesus loved, if we were actually reaching out to our neighbor the way Jesus called us to, what could it look like? We fix our eyes on the hope and the joy of what could be, and we run towards that with all of our might. How do I draw closer to him? I want to run towards that with all of my might. How can I be transformed to look like him? I want to run towards that with all of my might. How do I start to accomplish and produce fruit in my life the way that would radically impact and change my environment and my community and the things that are going on around me? I want to run towards that with all of my might, throwing off everything else that would hinder. And if I'm doing that, there will be hardships. I might get beaten up. I might get broken. But when I hold in my hand the truth and the beauty of what could be, something way better than a football, what could I overcome through the power of Jesus for the, seeing, for the sake of seeing the kingdom come? It's a lot more than glory. It's a lot more than praise and celebration. It's a lot more than admiration. It's eternally impactful. And not just eternally in the sense of forever. We've talked about that. That eternal life is just as much quality of life in the here and now. Heaven coming to earth in the here and now as it is about forever and eternity. But it is both, right? It has eternal consequences in the heavenly things that are happening here and now and the things that will be forever. Because we press on to attain something that we may not be able to fully see, but we know is so much better than what we're facing right now. And so we press on and endure hardships for the sake of seeing good things come. Many times what we see as hardships are inconveniences and struggles that get in our way of accomplishing daily tasks that bring our life down and beat us up and make it hard just to get through a day. Sometimes we see hardships as, well, I just don't understand, or I just am not real good at speaking, or I'm not real good at this, that, or the other. If we look back to Moses and some of those examples of faith, they tried to make those excuses too. And God said, there are no excuses that I can't overcome. I can use you. Don't be afraid of what may come. Don't fix your eyes on what could potentially go wrong. Fix your eyes on what we could accomplish together and endure and press forward through the hardships to attain it. And I promise it's worth it. If you would bow your heads with me. I've been thinking a lot the last couple of weeks about how hardships so quickly take us out of the game. Feel like I've made a few excuses in the last year, two years, three years, maybe since 2020. Who knows? There's lots of reasons to make excuses. It's been hard. And there's lots of things that have piled up and been hard. 
And I would say for each of us in this room, there are things that have piled up and been hard. But I want you to do this in this moment of quiet, this moment of silence. I want you to take your best moment of personal prayer and, and, and quiet in this moment to lay those things at his feet. Because if you're anything like me, I fully believe that the enemy would love for me to let those things pile up and say it's been hard and that's why I haven't been able to accomplish A, B, C, and D. But the Savior is there saying, my power and my grace and my everything are available to you and I can help you overcome if you trust in me and fix your eyes on me and stop looking at the troubles. Trust me. And that's the hard step that we have to take this morning. Just spend a moment of time in prayer saying, can I trust you with this? I want to lay this at your feet and trust you with it. Because I know that you can overcome. I know that you can help me endure. But I have to be willing to take a step of faith to move beyond that. Take a moment of prayer to wrestle with that. Lord, I feel like there are moments where we feel like we are pressed in on every side by troubles. But I thank you that we're not crushed. I know there are moments where we feel perplexed, but I thank you that we don't have to be driven to despair. I know there are moments we feel like the enemy is hunting us down and just trying to beat us up, but you have never abandoned us. That no matter how many times we get knocked down, we are not destroyed because of you. Through whatever suffering we have faced, Father, let us consider it joy to share in your suffering. And let us fix our eyes on what is most important. Father, I believe that your word is good and true and that Paul's words are real and true for us today. We may not be facing the same kind of hardships and trials, but Father, I believe that you are the same God who is with us in the same way as you are with him. And if the early church is not beaten down and destroyed by the constant persecution and struggle and hardship that they faced and overcame in ways where they were growing by thousands daily, Father, I believe that you can do amazing works in our life here and now. And so, Father, I pray you give me the strength to not make excuses. I pray that you would give each one of us the strength not to make excuses, but to surrender, to fix our eyes on the goal and the prize and press on with everything we have towards you so that we can accomplish the work that you've set before us so that our lives can produce fruit in ways that we never thought were possible. But Father, we have hope in you and know you are good. And so be with us and strengthen us and provide for us and help us to continue to have the strength to surrender and lay down what is in front of us and believe that we can do hard things through the name of Jesus. That no matter what struggle is in front of us, we can do hard things and overcome and endure through your name, through your strength, and through your spirit. Help us to be who you called us to be. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray.